and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Where we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron of Glacially Musical, and I am joined by my good friend and co-host, the musical crowned prince of Leeds, Duncan Evans. How are we doing today? Hey, hey. Yeah, I'm doing all right, actually. This um, this neuralgia thing, this nerve pain I've been experiencing seems to be improving. I feel like I've turned a corner with that, so we're getting there. I've been playing a bit more guitar. It's not been causing me as many problems. Um the only downside today, really, is that I have this necklace that I normally wear, and it's not a big deal. It's just a cheap little necklace thing, and I it's disappeared. And the the only I know I had it this morning, and then I didn't have it like twenty minutes later. I'm pretty sure I flushed it down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, I know exactly what you're going through because when I got home, we're still, you know, as I've talked about a thousand times, still working with the houses and all that stupid crap. Never own two houses. It's it's well, God. We're anyway. Uh, so I went downstairs because my knees hurt. I have bad knees from playing hockey and I went downstairs in order to flip the laundry and be a good husband and, and blah, blah, blah. And I can't find the goddamn, uh, dryer sheets that I purchased. I cannot Uh-oh. find them. So thankfully my mother-in-law lives on the first floor and I was able to steal from her. However, I'm like, I know I bought the damn things. I know I did. So that's four dollars just going, just going. Yeah, it's annoying. Stuff like that's very frustrating. Yes, it's very it's frustrating. Gotta be a simple expl- explanation, but you mm-hmm. and I will fixate on this for the next forever. Technical difficulties averted. So anyway, yeah, I'm gonna fixate on this damn on these stupid dryer sheets that I mean, it's just a basic, basic nothing burger. That's just going to drive me insane for the whole rest of the day. And I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Also, I wanted to give a shout out. I had forgotten to recently. Our good friend, Danny Nichols has released, I believe three albums in 2022 with Beckmork, which is black metal, uh, three fourths Francis, which is just, uh, like red state rock you know just kind of normal you know butt rock kind of good stuff and he also did an album with his most working band torchlight parade and so he gave me all of those a couple of weeks ago and they're all in my car and i've been trying to get through them and it is good stuff i i really appreciate danny he is one of the people that i know in this world that puts just the most effort into music knowing that it's for his own happiness and enjoyment so good on you and check out those and i'll, I'll put some links in, into this episode cool cool sounds great um yeah so what are we talking about today we are talking about something from back in the 90s and the 90s were an interesting time because not only was it the decade of the reunion it was also the decade of the breakup so if you think about all the bands in this in in the 90s that that broke up pantera broke up motley Crue broke up poison broke up def leppard no i got that's not fair no not def leppard slayer broke up i mean when i say break up i mean you know losing members not necessarily the end of the the, you know the end of the band and what we are talking about today is the result of the breakup between slayer and Dave Lombardo and his first album outside of the band. And he has done several with the Misfits, Suicidal Tendencies, 
testament. I mean, he has been with Mr. Bungle. I mean, he played some show that I mentioned the Misfits. I don't remember. Yeah, you did. I actually didn't know he'd ever been in the Misfits. I feel like I should have known that. But I wow. feel like okay. I should have known as well, but I did not. But I'm also not the biggest fan of the Misfits in the world. So, you know, it it is what it is. But this is a guy that has done quite a few things, and he is a much more interesting person than I ever knew, as I learned today. Because I don't know, I mean, I like Slayer, I'm not, I'm probably the world's only casual Slayer fan. <laughs> uh, I am not one of those people that are going to scream Slayer all the time and all that stuff. I've seen him a bunch of times, and they put on a great show, but I've always felt that, unlike bands like Metallica or Megadeth or Testament, they they are really only good at really loud volumes for the most part so yeah i can go with that and look i don't pretend to be an aficionado of slayer i know the big tracks and it's all fine it's just not really my thing they're great at what they do um yeah that's it really they're absolutely excellent at what they do and you know what they do for me can get a little wearing at times but that's i agree that. i agree that's too not, relentless for me but you know it's a bit too relentless and a bit too repetitive two mm-hmm. r words that you don't want to use regarding one album and apart from a few of their records namely seasons in the abyss namely diabolus and musica it's very relentless and you get one ballad, one song with a little bit of change. And that's really about it. Yeah. Which, which just makes it, you know, without lacking dynamics, heavy, you can only get, you can only be so heavy. And if you don't do those cool dynamic changes, it just becomes a wall of sound and I will get ear fatigue not real long after you know starting it so it's hard to listen to a whole record that way i i agree i think what makes something feel heavy is putting the heavy bit next to a light bit you know what jimmy page used to talk about light and shade and i think that's really important in music you know if you have a big cacophonous crash of noise after a mellow bit you know that works. There's a lot more impact there. Basically. I mean, and if you think about it, Led Zeppelin was one of the first bands to really use acoustic guitars in a lot of songs. Yeah, absolutely. Known and, as at the time, known as the heaviest thing on the planet. But actually, they had this really folky, bucolic kind of side to them. And that's one of the reasons why it seemed so heavy when they crashed into a whole lot of love after that. Right. And I mean, think about songs like over the hills and far away it starts off with this beautiful acoustic strumming and which is deceptively simple to play <laughs> as i learned during my lessons but then it goes into the dana 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 and it just hits you so hard and that's something that slayer lacks for the most part for me but so i don't know if we actually mentioned it or not but we are discussing the first album of Grip Incorporated, which is Dave Lombardo's first album outside of Slayer. However, this was not his first exit from Slayer. Okay, see, I didn't even know that. I did not know that until about 20 minutes ago when I was doing some last-minute research. And Dave Lombardo on the Rain and Blood tour quit. Okay. He, he said... 
I'm on a major label and I feel like if I'm on a major label, I should at least have my bills paid. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1986 and 87, when Slayer is doing all of this amazing stuff, Dave Lombardo, it does not feel like his efforts are being financially rewarded enough. And you know what? There comes a point in when you're, you know, we can't all be like Danny where, you know, you're doing this full time. And at that time, Slayer was well past a full time job. I mean, think about being on the road for three months at a time. Not only do you still have all of those bills you had at your home when you were there, but now you've also got to pay people to pay attention to it and pay them for you and take care of all that stuff. So it's extra added expenses. And, you know, if you're not being, if you're not able to make ends meet, I can see where it would be frustrating. hundred percent, man. Yeah, absolutely. So what brought him back was Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin is the, was actually brought into the Slayer fold by Dave Lombardo for the rain and blood record. And uh-huh. Rick Rubin really didn't like where Slayer was going without him. So he begged Lombardo to come back. So he comes back for the next album, uh, which is the classic South of Heaven. And then they do. Which I have got, actually. Mm-hmm. And then they go into Seasons in the Abyss, which is probably my personal favorite Slayer record. It is the only one I have on vinyl at this point. And mm-hmm. it's one, it's, it's, in my opinion, their most dynamic record. But mm-hmm. let's go back a little ways. Here's something I found to be very thought-provoking. Do you know where Dave Lombardo was from? I do not. I feel like I should have done more research on Dave Lombardo, which you clearly did, and I, I did not. So you're going to have to tell me. Well, here's the thing. Here's how we work well together. Oh, Cuba. Cuba. Hey! Sorry. I just saw it. <laughs> L- literally, it just came up. Just came. We up. work well together because you do great on the music and I do great on the history. And I steal your uh, lines before you're about to say them. And oftentimes, yes, you steal my thunder. He is <laughs> born in. He was born in 1965 in Havana, Cuba. I yeah. am not sure if he is a if he is a Cuban, like you know, Cuban American, or if he was a. I guess he would have to be because 1965. That is six years after the Castro revolution. Is, yeah. So he, I would imagine that all Americans would have gotten out at that point. Yes. Cause he came to America on the Peter Pan project, which is, which was a refugee project getting people out. So in Slayer, you have Tom Mariah and Dave Lombardo who are both Latinx people. So it is not a all white band, like certain other uh, thrash metal and metal bands out mm-hmm. there, which is pretty cool, but I didn't know that. So he is born in 1965. And he gets out of Cuba in 1967, comes to America, and in the late 70s gets introduced to funk and disco, which is yeah. probably something nobody expected. I did not expect to drop the disco bomb this week, but, you know, here we are. It's <laughs> shiny. Look at my balls. Look at my balls. See how they shine. Uh, been watching the Mighty Boosh a lot lately, so <laughs> yeah. might be get might get a couple, uh, couple of quotes there. We, uh, we actually... <laughs> Anyway, I, I could go on about that. And that's not that's not why we're here, Nick. That's what everybody's thinking. So he, he gets huge into music in America. Obviously, he asks for drum lessons, which his parents provide to him. But he leaves them shortly because they weren't challenging enough. This is another one of those people who is able to pick up an instrument quickly 
and go forward, which is really awesome. And it makes me really flipping jealous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at age 15 or 16, he is playing drums and he meets uh, a neighborhood kid by the name of Kerry King. I think we all may have heard that name before. Indeed, indeed. And he tells Kerry King that he plays the drums. He wants to start a band. Kerry King shows off his guitar collection. How Kerry King at age 16 had a guitar collection, I don't know. <laughs> I remember when I had one point in time in my life when I had three guitars and I thought, and I was like in my late 20s and I thought, wait, no, no, I only had two. I've never had three. You never had three guitars. Well, there you go. No, I've only ever had two at one time. And I think I've got five, including the bass at the moment, which is that's not too excessive. No, no, I think I think, you know, depending upon what you want to do, because I, I always wanted to have three because for me, I wanted the, the main guitar. Then I wanted the alternate tuning guitar mm-hmm. and then I wanted the backup guitar. Yeah, that makes sense. See, I've got electric alternative tuning electric acoustic cheap acoustic that i can like take to places and it doesn't matter if it gets thrown around and bass so they're all different right and i always i also kind of want one that's a little bit cheaper i don't like taking my gibson les paul out of the house yeah yeah not that it's an i mean it's it's a very cheap gibson les paul but it is a gibson les paul and i just don't like yeah i Especially in the city I live in, where I actually had a guitar lesson one night, and I decided to cancel it, and somebody got shot in front of my house. Wow. Okay. Like Twenty minutes after I canceled it. So. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know that. Well, there you go. We moved out of that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. so again, how he has a guitar collection at that age, I don't know. He says, "I'm going to introduce you to my other friend, who is Jeff Haneman." Which I believe is another name we are all very well familiar with. Absolutely. And then they start writing songs together and perform, not performing, but writing songs together. Then they decide they need a vocalist and bassist. And in pops in Tom Araya, which I know we're going going on a lot about Slayer, but I think it's important to know the man that we are discussing today. Because the other people in this band, not insignificant people, but not as significant as one Dave Lombardo, who is, you know, I I, I call Duncan the musical gadfly because he, he flitters about. But Dave Lombardo has flittered about with everybody on the upper echelons of metal. And that's, oh, yeah. I mean, that's truly amazing how many different places he has been and how many different people he has played with in different styles. And he's done a little bit of everything between punk and death metal and thrash metal. I mean, he's in he was in Phantomas, for God's sake. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And Mr. Bungle. I, I mean, the I, list... I didn't know half of this, actually, at all. But this, yeah, it's impressive, isn't it? And it's not just for the most part with these bands that he was in them, but he actually recorded albums with them, too. Yeah. So I yeah, mean, he might absolutely. as well he might as well take a turn in Metallica for a weekend at this yeah point. well exactly exactly but so they they bring in Tom Araya now what I found really surprising about this was I mean how many bands I mean how many times have we heard the story about like case and you know previous podcast subject Poison right they were called Paris and Indianapolis or Indiana or wherever the hell they were from and they moved to California and. Their guitar player says, this isn't for me, and he leaves. Then they get in CeCe DeVille, and they become huge. 
Think about Ron McGovney. You know, Ron McGovney plays bass in Metallica, was not a great player. Nobody would ever call Ron McGovney a spectacular player. Basically, he was a warm body. James Hetfield taught him how to play bass so, so they could fill out a lineup, though he was on the demos, and you know, so he has been recorded with Metallica. However, he is then replaced by Cliff Burton, at which point Metallica goes on to fame and fortune. So, so many, many times we've heard that story where all they have to do is just take out one person, add in one more different person, and they become a major band. Slayer does not do that. Slayer is four guys and they go on to fame. Maybe not fortune, but definitely fame. And so they go through Shono Mercy, Hell Awaits, Rain and Blood, Dave Quits, comes back, South of Heaven, Seasons in the Abyss. Now here's where we get to a little bit more static. This is where we end up to Dave leaving the band for the second time and on a basically permanent basis. He is about to have his first child with his wife and he tells the band he cannot tour in the pat in the last two weeks of September because his child is going to be born and he wants to be there. I am a father. Duncan is a father. I yeah, seems will, pretty much fair enough. to me. I will not speak for Duncan. However, I believe he might agree with what I'm about to say. I would not have missed the birth of my child for any goddamn thing. Sure, you know, absolutely. The memory of her grabbing my finger as I cut the umbilical cord is in my mind. It is, you know, it's never, it'll never go away. And the little yeah, yellow no, it's, a, it's a magical goes. thing, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Correct. I mean, it's something we life all go changing, life changing event. Yeah. Right. It's something we all go through, all deal with, yet it's just so magical for all of us, even though it's totally. so. It's the most magical pedestrian thing we can all do. <laughs> and so he gets an, uh, he gets a letter from Slayer's management saying, okay, we're going to be doing festivals in the last week of September. Right. And he's like, oh, oh come on. That is yeah. not what I agreed to. That is, I, I can't, I, I can't do it. So basically I don't know at that point if he quits or he is fired, but that is where Slayer ends for Dave Lombardo. Until, ooh, I want to say 2003 or four, because he comes back to Slayer. And I'm skipping the, uh, I'm skipping the, the Grip Incorporated history for the moment, and I'll circle back to it. So in 2003 or four, I forget the year, they record a live album, a live DVD, concert DVD, home video called Slayer Still Raining, where Paul Bostoff is. Uh, sent out of Slayer. They go back into rehearsals with Dave. Haneman was happy with it. Kerry King thought that ha that um, thought that Lombardo was missing a little bit of his chops. Haneman's fine. Haneman's, you know, and I don't know how well this is known or how well people think about this, but Jeff Haneman was Slayer. He oh, was yeah. a songwriter. He was, I mean, he was the main cog and yeah, I feel like people know Kerry King a little bit more, but that's more about his image. He's the one that gets in all the photographs. Absolutely correct. And Duncan did not keep talking, so I was trying to take a sip. <laughs> oh, sorry, man. It's yeah, all yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah. all right. So Jeff Haneman says it's fine. So he comes back. They record this video. The video is basically them playing Rain and Blood all the way through. And around this time, it also becomes very en vogue 
to play concerts where you're playing an album all the way through, whether or not you are touring behind that record or not. I believe King Diamond did one at this time where he played Abigail all the way through. I've actually got another one where he played Abigail all the way through. Roger Waters does a Dark Side of the Moon all the way through, and he's always doing The Wall all the way through. So, you you know, just a thing. Before that time, that was not something that was done. And the only problem I would have with that video, which I used to have, but I don't anymore. I I love concert videos in theory, but yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but I can only watch them about three or four times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Generally once for me, I'll watch you once. I mean, if I absolutely love the band, it might be two or three, four times. But yeah, I could totally agree with you. A live album, I will listen to that more than once. But when it's a video, there's something about it. That just, I've seen it now. I don't need it again. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it is weird. I mean, I'll I buy think them. It's something to do with. I think it's something to do with when you're listening, you kind of create your own images, which are different every time. But when you're watching it, it's the same. So you did less imagination going on somehow. I don't know. Could, I, I I don't know, but I do know that basically everybody I've talked to that loves the live sound and loves the live album all feel the same way. Yeah, we all buy these damn things. We watch them once or twice. And we move on. But if it's a live album, like I can't tell you how many live albums I've got sitting on my shelf here. I've got six by Metallica alone. Yeah, I listen yeah. to them and I love them anyway. Yeah. So they do that. The The problem with that video was the, the main portion of the video was just rain and blood. Rain and blood is only 27 minutes long on the studio record. So yeah. I would imagine that they, they, they pumped it up a little bit. I don't remember. And then in the bonus features, you could watch all the other other songs they played, but you could only watch one at a time. You couldn't actually just watch the concert, which I didn't know. Okay. At which point they then go into Christ Illusion and then they go into a couple other records that I don't remember the names of because they, frankly, oh, World Painted Blood. Uh, I don't remember them very well because, frankly, they were bad. They mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, Slayer fans, they were bad. And it, you know, it's clear that Slayer is out of gas. They go back to playing South of Heaven again over and over and over, which, okay, I, I don't dig that. I That is something that bands do that I hate. And then, you know, they're touring, and then Dave Lombardo quits again. Yeah. And why does he quit again? And I quote, I'm not getting paid enough for this. Wow. Again. Again. You know. And he never came back. At that point, they brought Paul Bostoff back a second time, and Paul Bostoff has finished everything. Oh, and speaking I mean, yeah, of I, Roger Waters, I forgot to mention, yeah. he has announced a new record that's coming out early next year. It is Roger called Waters? The, yes, The Lockdown Sessions. It's being mastered as we oh, speak. Okay. And then so, supposedly wow. he's got another one coming out called The Bar, which is also going to be out late next year. So wow, it's to be a great that's- music. Usually prolific for Roger Waters. It's usually about ten years between each album. He's never gotten that. Sh- he's never been that quick. No, that's he, well. There you I go. take that back. He did because he did uh, pros and cons in '83, I believe. He did. Oh chaos. yeah, Radio Chaos '86. I thought it was later than that. I thought it was '87. Mm, think it could be '87. Yeah. And then he did um, the next one in '93, which is "Amused to Death," my personal favorite. And then nothing again until 2016. So yeah, 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 yeah. So no, yes, no. unusually prolific for Mr. Waters. 
Yeah. So anyway, back yeah, to I Slayer. remember the thing with um, uh, Dave Lombardo when he last left Slayer, and I, I believe that I read at the time that he was on a contract whereby essentially he was officially not actually a member of the band. It was a strange thing whereby the band was like the other three or the band was just Jeff Hanneman or something strange like that on paper. And he was technically hired in as an employee and just paid a wage, which was a really low wage, basically. It would not surprise me. But the thing about those bands is the tour is where you make the money. And but if you look at what Slayer, you know, Slayer on their regular tours, not the final tour where they were playing state, where they were playing amphitheaters and arenas, they typically played three to five thousand seat theaters. Yeah, that yeah. is all they could fill. So, you know, whenever you think about how big a band is and how much money they should have, think about that for a second. Ninety nine point nine percent of the A-list metal bands play theaters oh yeah 100 percent. yeah you know yeah. i have seen carcass think about carcass for a second carcass is in my humble opinion probably the most well-known worldwide death metal band yeah and, but that's death metal and that's the thing right in death metal a massive fish in what is actually a tiny pond relatively speaking correct i saw them play a club and i saw them play a small theater and in yeah. the small theater, the upstairs was not open. And I mean, this is a 2000. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that was with Deaf Heaven, who in that time, Deaf Heaven was getting mainstream press in America. Mm. They were on NPR being talked about. They were wow. one of NPR's top 10 albums of the year. But for the record, Deaf Heaven totally sucks. And I don't get it even a little bit. It's awful. But so yeah, now we like shoot. It. Let's yeah. go back in time to 1993. In 1993, Grip Incorporated is formed. So Grip Incorporated is formed with, and I'm going to butcher this name, Waldemar Sorichta, who is a Polish guitarist from Voodoo Cult. Yeah, indeed. Are you familiar with Voodoo Cult? You are closer to the, the epicenter than I am there. Yeah, no, I I do not know much about them. I just I did a little bit of the, the same research that you no doubt did. Um, but yeah, no, um, I didn't know much about them at all. He was in a band called Despair, founded in '86, um, before Voodoo Cult, and it turns out Despair have their own Wikipedia page, so they must have been somewhat notable um i'm just looking now yeah released an album on oh no the um one of the guys from the band launched century media records so oh, there wow. you go probably went on to bigger fame for that than for being in the band um and greater but fortune yeah they released but, yeah they released three albums i'm not sure what label on or whatever but yeah and then he did Voodoo Cult. Oh, I don't know, but they were apparently some kind of super group. Oh, here we go. Thrash Metal Supergroup formed in 93. Jim Martin of Faith No More, Chuck Schuldner of Death. We we got to do this, you know. We got If they release an album, we need to do this. Chuck Schuldner of Death, Dave Lombardo, and Mike Petroza of Creator released two albums. There we go. Get it on the list. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, there we go. So he's obviously... He was doing quite well. Somehow he jumped into this supergroup. When let's face it, at the time, um, it seems like he was kind of the least famous member of that band. But I guess he was playing with 
Dave Lombardo at the same time. Yeah, he was right. There you go. Dave Lombardo and Sorichta were in Voodoo Cult at the same time, a little bit before um, they did Grip Inc. So there you go. Well, there you go. That is something interesting. And I am actually looking at the, yeah, the Voodoo. Okay. Ooh, Voodoo Cult's going to be a rough choice. Anyway, not the point. Because they did two <laughs> records. One's got Chuck, one's got Jim. So we'll fight that out another time. So okay. <laughs> the the original bass player actually is the one that came up with the term with the name grip. And the original bass player was Jason V. Brooks. Who and, is on the first I'm sorry. Record. No, no, no. I apologize. It was the they had the overkill guitar player Bobby Gustafson who came oh, up with okay. grip. Apologies on that one. Uh Mr. Gustafson, however, did not perform on any of the records. So Got but it, he yep. came up with the name, and so then Lombardo ends up calling it Grip Incorporated to avoid lawsuits. Yes. So Got this it. is the first instance of this happening, which happens so many times in the future. Consider Venom and Venom Incorporated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's uh it's a thing that happened, and then they go into the studio, record their album. And I remember reading about this album because I read voraciously the guitar magazines at this point, the metal magazines at this point. And I remember Dave Lombardo talking about how he and, you know, this is just, you know, hype press. So I wouldn't put a whole lot of faith into this. But I remember him discussing about, oh, we when we first the first day we played together. It felt like we had the chemistry built up for years and he knew when the changes were coming and we just did them and it was amazing and blah, 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 blah. And I thought to myself, wow, this is something I need to hear. And I think everyone listening to this knows how I feel about solo records, how I feel about offshoot records and oddly made records and the weird little goofy stuff. Because that is, you know, that's why we started this. We started this yeah, because I oh, love totally. that goofy stuff. And here is the proof. I have been into this kind of thing for 30 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I bought this album from Columbia right. House when it was brand new. Back then, it was I did a lot of Columbia House. I did a lot of... Oh, so you knew this too. record. You knew this. I wasn't sure if you did or not. Because I had Oh, never yes. Yes. I right. bought it when it was new. I right. had it on CD and it is a record that I owned back in the day. And then on top of that, after that, I got all the Ace Fraley records and I mean, solo albums, because I never understood why somebody could be a fan of a band and then not, oh, excuse me, and then not buy everything that everybody that was ever remotely related to the band ever released. Yes. Yeah, I still yeah. wonder Fair about enough. that, but you know, that is who I am. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So yeah, I, I yeah. am not putting on an act. <laughs> No, absolutely. So, yeah. So basically, there's not loads of stuff here, but by gripping, they they were signed to Steamhammer Records, and then I think they were there was also a deal with Metal Blade. They were as distributed well. they were by Metal both. Blade. Yeah, there you go. I'm so actually they, I'm actually really surprised that Rick Rubin didn't sign them, considering how much Rick Rubin hmm. liked Dave Lombardo. However, Rick Rubin was also working with Slayer still. Well, there you go. There so you that go. is probably why. Because Grip Incorporated comes out a year after the first Slayer record. 
with Paul Bostoff. That album came out in, I think, September 94, and this comes out in October 95. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also produced by the guitar player um, Valdemar Soricha. Well, he well. goes on to become a super producer. He he makes yeah. his, that's where he makes his personal hay. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. So as far as I know, um, yeah, that's right. Sorry, Gus Chambers is the singer who we haven't mentioned yet, and he doesn't have his own Wikipedia page. Um, but at some point on when listening to this album, I noticed, I thought, hang on a second, because at first I thought it was an American accent. And I thought, hang on, that's not an American accent. It sounds like he's from Birmingham. And that's not Birmingham, Alabama. That's Birmingham in the West Midlands in the UK. Um, Birmingham, Alabama's namesake. Birmingham? So what is Birmingham? Sorry, uh, again, so much Mighty Boosh lately. Okay, I can't rem- I can't remember. I-, I would have seen that and I can't remember. No, no, it wasn't in that one. That was just a thing they would do. They would say something and say, what is? So like today we right, were watching right, that and he goes, right. Yorkshire? What is Yorkshire? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um thingy's from Leeds, where I'm from, you know. Um what's his name? Howard Moon. I've forgotten the actor's yeah, name. Yeah, Noel. He, yeah, he's he has your No, 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 no. The other one, um Julian? You know. Yeah, Julian. Julian's from Leeds. No, I thought Noel was. I thought no, Noel, Julian's from Leeds. Julian Barrett's from Leeds. Noel's from London or from I thought, downstairs. But I thought, I thought Noel was Howard. No, no, Julian Barrett's Howard Moon. Oh, okay. Oh, we also saw the glam folk rock episode today. So yeah, yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I'm so, sorry, but it turns out, yeah, Gus Chambers, he hasn't done anything else that was super notable. But I found him on the Metal Archives. And yeah, he's from Coventry. So I don't know how that happens. So Coventry is just in the Midlands in the UK, not far from Birmingham, hence why I got the accent. Right, right, right. Very similar. So yeah, so so they got this guy from Coventry in the UK. I don't know if he was already living over in the States or what. Um, but yeah, so so I don't know how that happened really. And sadly, the guy died um oh. not that many years later, I think, of some some accidental combination of alcohol and uh, prescription medication so would yeah, not so. surprise me if he was just an english dude living in southern california because at that you know in the 90s in, in in the 80s into the 90s if you were english we assumed you were into music right because the, right. especially if you were over here you you were part of the scene somehow so it, it just wouldn't surprise me and as we've discussed many times, how many artists come over here to make their, you know, make their bones. Oh, sure, but uh, sure. is there anything else on this that we need to, to really get to before we take in the track by track? Um, just, well, just very, very quickly. The reception seemed to be generally pretty good at the time. And there was a bit of a mixed reception. Um, and I think people were saying, so, so Lombardo was saying, that basically it's not going to be, it's not that much like Slayer. Um, but uh, here, here we go. Soricha said, basically, um, people are going to expect it to sound exactly like Slayer and then complain when it's not quite as technically sort of, um, as technically uh, tight, I guess, if you want to call it that, as Slayer might be. But then also Soricha was saying, but then Lombardo uses some double kick drum playing in this and then people start complaining about now it sounds exactly like slayer so i guess i went into this just thinking okay it's going to sound a bit like slayer but a bit different and i guess that's all i've got to say really so should we get into the track by track and take our break let's take a break and we'll come right back for the track by track 
Welcome back. So we are now going to get into the album, The Power of Inner Strength. Before we get to the track by track, I just want to discuss the cover a little bit. Because that is something we have not done and tend to do. True. Yes. Well, um, it's. I guess it's one of those. Well, look, okay. You can probably elaborate more on this and you might have done some more research on this, but I'll tell you what I think. So it's bright orange various shades of orange um we'll go into that more in a second and it has um sort of a stamp like a label like um uh, rectangle with gripping kind of stamped on it in a sort of industrial stamp style it just says gripping big block capitals power of inner strength now you might have researched what this is but the the bright orange background is clearly some kind of zoomed in sort of microscope photograph of i don't know is it an in it, a part of the human body yep. from inside because yep. it's inner strength like is it yep. the yep. heart or something it's i don't a muscle. know it's, it's just a muscle go. and i i it's already knew that i mean I, I i still remember biology class apparently and yeah it's just a muscle it uh, that makes it, sense it is definitely a striking cover if uh honestly forgettable but the 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 album oh and for the record this was released in march 95 i got that wrong i thought it was october 95 it was recorded in october 94 so directly after the slayer album um which one was divine intervention is released they go into the studio they only record for about a month before they do it and it's recorded in Germany, which is close to the guitar player oh, yeah. uh, Waldmar Sorsta's home. And also Gus Chambers, if he was living in the UK, that's quite close to him as well. So it may have been one of those types yeah, of could... arrangements where they all lived apart, but just got together f- to record and then toured and sort of thing. Correct. Could very well be. Uh, and Gus wrote all of the lyrics. On... Yeah. Dave Lombardo has a couple of songwriting credits, not many, because he's got the one, the first one he's got, of course, the second, one, two, three, four, four in total, including the four. first three and another one, I think. You know, four songwriting credits for a drummer who's not singing is actually quite a bit. But, and that is basically all I have. Anything else you want to? In, in the lead up, no, j- just to say that this this was the lineup with four members. So it's Jason V. Brooks on bass, um, obviously Lombardo, Sariccia, and Gus Chambers. So, um, yes, all right. Well, um, well, we yeah, get, just, let's go ahead and get this. started. Uh, I showed my kid the Kumite this morning and tried to convince sorry? the Kumite, the blood sport, the movie from the 90s. And I tried to convince her it was a documentary and not a movie with Jean Claude Van Damme fighting. Uh, she did not believe me. It uh, it had the touch of death when we're going to start off with Toque de Muerto, which, nice. means, t- oh. which means touch of death. Okay, there you go. I was going to say, I thought the Muerto was death. I didn't know what the touch was. What well, actually, the dead touch, so, but anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I didn't know what to expect at all with this, really, apart from what I said previously, which was that I thought it was going to be Slayer-ish, but clearly a little different. But okay, let's give it a go. I'm not a massive fan of Slayer. Don't know if I'm going to like it or not. And it kicks in with this sort of, I, I mean, I was going for South American, but, uh, you know, I guess, you know, that he's he's from, from Cuba. You've got this whole Latin American influence going on. 
these kind of percussion grooves with lots of like there no drum kit at first just lots of different percussion instruments um i'm not sure what they all are but building up these layers and it's really cool all these offbeats all this syncopation it's in three four time and then you get the drum kit coming in with a really kind of industrial type sound just a big pounding snare not not the big cheesy 80s snare just a big kind of distorted horrible in the best possible way, snare. And I'm thinking, okay, this is really cool straight away. I just really like this. It's a bit Sepultura. Yes. Because you've got oh, the metal yeah. mixed with mixed with those kind of um, you know, Latin American grooves that then you've got and percussion, then you've got a but I would say there's a bit of god flesh in there, that sort of driving industrial but slightly groovy thing. And then it actually reminded me of a band called The Creatures, which was like an offshoot of um who was it? It was the Budgie from Susie and the Banshees and someone else. Um, I don't think it was Susie Sue, but anyway, sort of a, I guess, goth rock-ish thing from the 80s. Um, and there's a very percussion heavy with uh, Budgie, the, the drummer, sort of leading that. I'm going, yeah, this is just great. I just really like this. And it builds with just percussion and percussion and percussion. And then it just stops and goes into the next track. But you can tell me what you think about that one first. It's one, only one and a half minutes, this intro track. Duncan finds so much in such short songs. It is, he says more about a 90 second intro percussion track than I'm going to say about anything else today. <laughs> But for me, you know, I don't like drum solos as a rule if they go past 90 seconds. This is around the 90 second mark. It is definitely interesting. It is a great statement. And actually, I'm saying way more about this 90 seconds than I expected. But it's a great statement because what he is saying is this is going to be a percussive heavy record. You are going to get all the drums that you need and frankly 99 times out of 100 that does not work even bands with the absolute best drummers led zeppelin rush the who they're not led by the drummer but it is what it is and if it's starting to make you a little queasy to your stomach queasy in your stomach don't worry it's just the savage seas hey well that's track two so um this is the first like proper song if you want to call it that straight in with a really cool groovy bluesy heavy metal riff just really nice um that's a very a very bland word for what is actually a really quite powerful thing um and then it kicks in with chugging sort of thrash ish and by the way, this is described on Wikipedia as a groove metal album. Yeah, I noticed but, that. And you know what? No. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some of that going on. But yeah, I'm not sure it's really that. I, I think it actually doesn't quite fit into any box, which is um, no one fits me into a box. That's a mighty Bush quote. Oh, anyway, how would you even? Who's trying to put you in a box? The man. <laughs> How would you even fit in a box? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but it's really look. The energy is great. What we I think... we need to put mighty boosh references in the 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 podcast description now. Exactly, exactly. All right. So, so sorry, sorry. But no, no, no. It's 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 all cool. So. The energy is there. And for me, like we were talking about Slayer earlier, and I feel the same really about a lot of bands, and I'm sorry to say it, but Metallica most of the time I feel the same way. You're Somehow wrong. I feel that there's this 
that the, the, it's so tight and punchy and on the beat that the the energy feel the human energy is a little bit lost and i get that that was okay a, I'm, i take it back thing. I, I take it back you're right okay okay but but here the energy is absolutely there it's crisp and it's tight but it's loose and organic it, I, I don't know what they did during the production process but it doesn't feel like they were um chopping things up and quantizing things it just feels like they just went in and played this live um the vocals are really cool they're shouty and they're a bit growly like a bit of a metal growl but they're also you know what they're punk this guy's really a punk singer as far as i can tell really audible words um which i now can't remember any of but you could hear every word um the chorus is like savagely, brutally shouted. Like he's got the conviction. He really means it. Got the aggression. It's very crossover for me. It's like cr that crossover punk thrash hardcore thing. Goes a little bit proggy, experimental in points. At points, there's a guitar solo, but it's like an unsettling, weird, atmospheric guitar solo. Yeah, it's technical and it is a bit twiddly, but it feels like it's more about the atmosphere than there's it a, is about showing off. Um, there's, a there's a serious lack of twiddles yeah, on this gen record. Generally, you're right. Generally, you're right. Um, for me, for me, it's just it's just great. Just the end. Just it's full of punk energy. For me, it's like okay, um, you've got Dave Lombardo being absolutely um all over the drum kit but he still has this punk energy and then you've got a singer who basically seems to be it's like an old school like a napalm death type singer where it's 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 metal mm. but really it's still punk i don't i don't think i'm not saying he sounds like napalm it's, death but it's, it's like closer the same it's closer to in my opinion uh dirty rotten imbeciles which is one of my which is my favorite crossover band yeah yeah and i completely agree with a lot of what you're saying this song it's one of those just machine gun tracks. Once he's once they start, they are just spraying it all mm -hmm. over the place. It is a statement. It is a statement yeah. saying that I was not I'm not in Slayer because I'm not good enough. If that's not why I'm not in Slayer, here it is. And there is a lot of and I'm gonna speak more generally on this record than mm -hmm. Duncan is, which is what makes us a great team. Duncan's got one side, I got the other. And it, it's it's a very energetic record. And you're absolutely right about the vocals. Gus Chambers, there was no question about his conviction. You know, one of my favorite one of my favorite songs by the Red Hot Chili Peppers is uh, admittedly and unfortunately, Sir Psycho Sexy from which closes basically closes out my favorite chili peppers record blood sugar sex magic and if i could not imagine singing that with conviction but he did it and that is how gus chambers does this it is conviction he is ready he is going and if he's got you held on if if he's holding on tight to you and you don't know how to get home and you can't get away you're just a hostage to heaven well done so this is um is it host? I've just written hostage heaven, but that doesn't make sense. It's hostage to heaven, isn't it? Right. So, okay, this is this is super fast, thrashy, double time, almost hardcore. Dunk -dunk 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 that type oh, of thing. I'm sorry, I'm gonna butt in because I meant to say this last track. You're, you're bringing up hardcore. You're bringing up punk. Slayer act absolutely was a punk band before they were metal. 
they were punk before anybody knew right. them because that's what sure. they play. And that, you know, which is a very common thing, which is actually one of the things the the singer and guitar player for Snafu told me when I interviewed him is we were punk and then we got good at our instruments and we became thrash. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, and this is when I noticed that the British accent was really there. Um, I did not notice that even a little. Right. I didn't. I actually listened to this twice all the way through. And, and the first time I I wasn't paying as much attention. I did a sort of general holistic listen. and I did the, the whistle stop. Yeah, exactly. And when I did the more deep dive, it's like, OK, now I can really tell this. And it reminds me of these um, bands like New Model Army and even the Levelers. Um, the, obviously, this is way heavier than those bands, if you if you know them, but it's like a metal version of that almost. Um, yeah, look, it's very cool. It, it is relentless, but it still has enough of that light and shade and dynamics to it. Um, the drums are, if anything, mixed a little bit loud. And again, like you've said, that's the statement. It's, look, I'm here. I'm Dave Lombardo. You're going to listen to me. But you know what? It, the drums are so great and so classy without it being, it doesn't feel like it's just an ego show off thing. It just feels like it's effortless. And this is what I can do. But isn't it cool? Come on, you're going to listen to, the, you know, not just for the sake of seeing how good I am, but actually it sounds cool. And yeah, I can't I can't disagree with that. Nailed um, it. Yeah. And basically, yeah. The, oh, the double kick bit. He does the slayery double click, double kick thing, but it just feels more loose, less, less kind of. Um, I know Slayer didn't necessarily do the whole really kind of clicky clicky triggered triggered thing, but it but it is it really isn't that. It feels totally organic. Like he's really doing this. It's just um, it's the machine gun thing, but it's natural. It's organic and it's catchy and it's groovy and yeah, brilliant. Like it. I, I would completely agree with that. My my complaint about this record and when when it comes to us, especially this portion of it. When it comes to an album, when it comes to music, we all have our focus. A lot of people who know me cannot believe I listen. People who know me professionally, people who know me, that kind of thing. You know, not close, not close friends. Don't understand how I can listen to bands like Deicide or Blood Incantation or Mayhem. And they, they don't get it. I'm like, they're like, it's so angry. I'm like, yeah, I'm there for the guitars. Yeah, and the, the best guitar players in... 1950 played blues the best guitar players in 1960 played the 1960s played you know acid rock or blues and in the 70s it was hard rock and in the 80s it was metal and it's always been metal since and that's what i'm here for and their riffs are lacking at this point and it riffs are lacking solos are lacking i i want i Duncan and I have very different opinions on twiddles. Duncan wants twiddles has very what's he has very high standards when it comes to twiddles. Me, <laughs> I have low, low standards. Give me a twiddle that makes me tingle, and it's not that hard as long as it's fast. Just give me that yeah. twiddle. And it's not here. It's it's a different thing. And they're definitely letting Dave Lombardo take the lead. And everything you said about him is absolutely correct. It doesn't feel like he's showing off. It doesn't feel like he's trying to say, look at me, look at me. He's just out and about and going like he does. When I remember having a conversation about Divine Intervention, the first album without Dave Lombardo, with a buddy of mine. 
And his his opinion was, you know what? The thing about Lombardo that I like better than Bostoff is when he played a fill, and I should mention my buddy was a drummer. So he he said, you know, when Dave Lombardo played a fill, it actually sounded like it took effort. Whereas Bostoff just and you know, I disagreed, but I also am not a drummer. I I prefer the I mean, you know, I think honestly though, I just prefer the Bostoff records just because of the writing, but that's besides the point. Fair enough. Yeah, so yeah. If, if if you're if you're thinking that Dave Lombardo is is just going is just going to town playing too much, he's just a monster among us. Excellent. A good good link. Yeah, so that's the next track. Yeah, I just wanted to say about the twiddles and the solos. Yeah, you're right. There is generally a lack of solos and twiddles on this record. And I think that's probably just in hindsight partly why I found it refreshing because they just didn't shower yeah, it with solos. It's thrash metal without without the eight solos per song. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, you have like the, the classic thrash metal vocals out of Gus Chambers rather than the high pitched of like Exodus yeah, or Anthrax exactly. or Testament. So it is, you know, if I, I think it's a great way to describe it. it, it is punk that became metal. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, that. I mean, I'm so selective with my metal. I mean, you know, I'm part of the metal scene. I've played in a lot of metal bands. What I do certainly is influenced by metal. Um, you know, I go to metal festivals all the time, all this, but there's a lot of metal that completely turns me off or just leaves me a bit cold. Um, yeah, I know. It, Same. And the, but the thrashy, the thrashy side, I'm very hit and miss with. But when it's more punky, I love it. As I would say you're into... more miss miss hit, but that's just me. Based Fine. On yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, we've been I doing this for like... almost three years now, and well, I feel like I, I got to an like idea the metal is like. not quite metal. It's like I, I, you know what I mean. I tend to like the stuff that doesn't sit right there, right in the um middle of the window of what metal you can don't... be. When it's there, I tend you... to go, no, that's the stuff I don't like. I like Correct. all that stuff that's on the fringes. Right. <laughs> you tend to you tend to like. <laughs> Uh, metal adjacent or straddling yeah. metal or you know infectious grooves if memory serves you really liked because it was really metal but still not yeah straddling metal that can be one of our um one of our taglines <laughs> anyway so um right monster among us yeah it starts with a dark weird riff with like muted in the background um you, you can kind of eq to be in the distance with some hi-hats and then it all kicks in with this six eight time really odd feel it, it's an odd syncopation but it's brilliant he makes this weird um unusual groove just sound totally flowing and natural and it's exemplary that like the percussion stuff that's going on it really is exemplary um the guitar layers to be honest um th they're great as well um all these different layers again tense unsettling it's grinding noise but there's a strange beauty about it it's um th there's a bit of melody going on but it's also kind of horrible and um and discordant it's brilliant and then it breaks down to this clean guitar jangle with vocals and it's a bit almost post-gothic rock um 
And this is where I thought, yeah, it's definitely a bit of new model army kind of post-punk, British post-punk thing going on here, I think. Um, or maybe bands like uh, these crossover bands like Amoebix that brought in some of that. Um, and anyway, yeah, it kicks back in lots of heavy riffs. I like them. Um, cool effects. And just the and this goes for the whole record really the drums just never stop being absolutely captivatingly cool like just whatever i just want to hear what he does next because it's always just oh he did that oh that oh and that okay yeah and, and you it's not what you'd expect it's not the type of drumming you'd usually get with these sorts of riffs but just give me more of it please yeah brilliant I like. love how Duncan can hear so much more than me on these things. <laughs> and I love it when I pick something because I did pick this one because I actually knew this album as we discussed. So I, I, I think I know where Duncan is going with this one. You know, Guilty, or I'm sorry, Monster Among Us, that it's it's one of the songs for me that I really don't remember. But however, Duncan has uh, given us all of it. I just try to be me. I can only be, you know, I can only be myself. And if anything, I'm sorry I forgot. But if anything, I'm just guilty of innocence. <laughs> which is the title of the next one of course so this is in 5-4 and again so 5-4 is like um mission impossible down 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 but this kind of takes that groove and then makes it just it flips it on its head so it's like it's not that because that's just ridiculous but <laughs> but it's it kind of makes no sense but it just feels absolutely natural so just yeah, great. What a groove in five four. Um, great thrashy riffs, unstoppable energy. At this point, I noticed the bass, and I'm going, yeah, it's it's that cool, it's that scuzzy crossover bass, it's that slightly crust punk kind of bass tone. Great. Um, catchy, brilliant vocals, and then it goes prog again, because you know, why not? And yeah, it just keeps getting better. Where, and where else would you go if you didn't go prog? Exactly. Um so yeah, look. In a way, it's more of the same, but it's I'm I'm here for it, and I'm you know fine. Throw me. You've thrown us a six eight. Now you're throwing us a five four. That's all flipped on its head, and you're just doing it with such grace and flow. Yeah, just yeah, like it a lot. It's always fun to have a musician with me describing these things because you can hear the things that I just can't hear. I can hear. Wow, this riff is cool or this riff makes me feel good, or this riff is angular. Duncan can hear, well, this is like Mission Impossible. Okay, great. I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't hear that. I don't have that in me. You know, to call me a musician would be like, you know, be like calling me an athlete because I take a walk at lunch. But that's besides <laughs> the point. You know, this, I liked this song. And it's this is another one of the songs where Gus Chambers' vocals are just thrilling. And yes, you know the way he screams guilty of innocence i mean frankly the the lyrics are a little bit silly however it's it's fun it's fun he's con he's got conviction and you know what the most important thing to have when you're singing is conviction you can be the oh you know, yes john lee hooker could not sing but Roger Waters can't sing, you know, all these people can't Roger sing. Roger Waters could sing at one time. That was 1975. But, yeah, you know, but he always sounds, yeah, he sings with it. He sings it with conviction. And you know what? That, and if you have, you know, if you have that need to just spray it out loud, if you have the need where you can't help but keep it in and you can't give your lyrics to somebody else, then you just got an innate affliction. Excellent. I Excellent. never, I okay, the whole time I thought I was not going to be able to come up with one for that. <laughs> 
All right. Well, Innate Affliction. So, yeah, starts with these squealy, feedbacky guitar sounds and some groove in the background. And then it kicks in with this nice rolling classic 6 8. Um, and it keeps alternating between um, this big riff thing and then these sort of ambient y feedback drones. Um, and I really like it. And it's this is, again, it's strangely melodic underneath the sort of grinding, menacingness of it. And then it goes into a drum solo, um, and actually it's pretty sure, so Nick might even accept it, and it is great. It's Dave Lombardo doing his thing, and it is brilliant. And the bass builds back in, and they start to layer up some percussion again, and I think there's some doom back and some other percussion instruments. Did you say doom back? Yeah, doom back is, I think, is it a Greek one? I'm not quite oh, sure. Oh, I thought what... you were talking about, like, back, like, loser. But oh no, yeah, no, no, no. I see what you mean. Like Beck loser gone doom. No, doom Beck is. I want that. I want Beck loser doom metal. There you go. Someone's got to do that cover. Um, and then there's his guitar stab. So it's like down, 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 and it's just brilliant. Um, I think this one's an instrumental. Um, from what I remember. So yeah, I I like it. Um, I like it. There you go. It would explain if it were an instrumental because Dave Lombardo has a writing credit. Don't mean to be mean to drummers, but you know, what's the last thing the drummer said before he got fired? Hey guys, I wrote a song. <laughs> if I could, for a moment, we discussed Led Zeppelin uh, at the beginning of the, at the top of the show. And one of the drummers that I can remember who tried to make his career as a semi-solo artist on the drums was... Oh, Duncan did okay. Jason Bonham. Oh, right. I was thinking what not quite sure what you what you mean here. Right. Okay. Right. If you right, don't right. remember Bonham, I'm not surprised. No one should. And but it I remember the it's video an album called Bonham that's a Jason Bonham album. Oh, like two or three. Okay. I did not know this. No. You don't we need do one of them. No. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Bin it. Should we just say bin it now? Yeah, completely bin, bin it. Bin I've had it in my hand on vinyl like 10 times, and I went, no, nah, I'm keeping the 10 bucks. Right, uh, right. But I can remember, you know, the videos where the drummer was up front, and he wasn't singing. He was just there. And Jason Bonham is an amazing drummer, but you are never going to make it on the strength of the drummer. It's just, it's just not a thing. However, this record so far is definitely getting there it is definitely moving it the needle forward it is a drummer's record without being a drum clinic yeah because the thing is the drums are amazing but also like we've said they don't feel forced just to show off they don't feel like exercises and also the other stuff there is really good as well and Correct. you've got a vo you've got a vocalist who's clearly got something to say and believes in it and um believes in these songs and actually the guitar player um i've forgotten his surname now it's just uh, uh Suricha. there we go we can't pronounce he's it for the right as well he's great and 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 the bass the bass player to be honest it's not quite as um up front but it probably couldn't be because you've got all this other stuff going on you right. can't have There's, everyone playing lead at the same it's, time it's like james so. hatfield said when it came to when it came to uh, the Black Album, the drums wanted to be up front, the bass wanted to be up front, so somebody's got to go in the back. But and uh, yeah, and and with Cream as we've with, um, pre speaking of speaking of Metallica's on. the Black Album, next is Colors of Death. 
There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't know yeah, I was yeah. going. I didn't know how I was going to get that one either. We are running out of time, so let's shoot through the last couple. Let's shoot through. All right. So acoustic arpeggio, steady six eight drum groove, very nice bass riff, unsettling, dark, melancholy, atmospheric effects. Again, these expressive vocals, almost spoken word. When the music's quietened down, he's got a bit more space to speak it, almost like um, a performance poet, and it's it's great using that side of his voice. And then it kicks in with this with these fast thrash riffs in six eight. And some jazz chords in there. And again, like this guitar player knows his stuff. Um, really, really cool. And unlike much else I've heard before, really catchy as well. And yeah, like it a lot. Um, so I hope I haven't ostracized you by talking for too long there, Nick. Oh, I had a good bit. <laughs> you took my bit. But yes, next I'm up sorry. is ostracized. You know, we're at the point of the record. There's a lot of the sameness here. This feels one of the one of the greatest compliments I can give for a record that sounds a bit samey is that there is definitely an album feel rather than a singles or song feel. Oh yeah. And that's something I can really appreciate. I'll let you take it away from here. Yeah. So this, this is nice. It's just a classic. We're actually back in four, four, very blue. This is where I would say they are almost like groove metal ish, almost industrial with that hypnotic, relentless thing. But it's also this just groovy blues. It's thing industrial without the industry. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, and cottage, it's cottage industrial metal. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's it's kind of catchy. And I, I think when you when you have non-melodic vocals but can make them catchy, um, it's a great thing. So, yeah, look, uh, look. in a way, it's more of the same, but it's great. It's a lot. You know, there's a lot of, like, um, Heaven and Hell, The Devil You Know. It's a lot of more of the same. The same is pretty good, but it is more of the same. Yeah. Well, it, it, you might say we needed to cleanse our palates. There we go. Sorry, I've taken over the bad Go ahead, you're there. fine. Well, no, my, I... Yours were good. Mine are bad because I'm not even using the whole song title. This is Cleanse the Seed. Um, but, the best uh, thing about puns is no puns are good. They're all bad. You just got to be convicted. You got to have conviction. There you go. Um, so yeah, basically starts with a synth pad intro and then you've got some ambient jangly clean guitars. And again, these unsettling odd arpeggios really like them. Some nice clean lead guitar, um, six, eight again, droning big guitar chords over pummeling drums, lots of feedback, almost a bit doomy. So it is a bit of a change here actually. And then it, but then it kind of finally kicks in with what I would describe as astounding ferocity, really that you think, oh, I didn't know they could crank it up as much as that. Some really cool double kick bits again, um, but natural. I'm not the, I mean, I like double kick, but eh, when it's that clicky kind of, I find it a bit boring, but this isn't like that at all. No, it's the kind um, of double kick where you, it when you listen, when I listen to it, I picture the Marshall stacks shaking from yeah because there's because it's an actual human being doing the kicks it's not a trigger you're exactly right and that's one of the things that metal moves into not long after this record is the triggered drums and i don't necessarily mean trigger like you hit once and you get but the fact where it's synthesized and you you lose the humanity and that's why i like rock and metal and blues so much because it didn't have that for the longest time. But, totally. you know, maybe maybe I'm saying crazy things. Maybe I'm kicking out a heretic war chant. 
Uh, oh, nice, nice, yeah. And that's the next song, the penultimate one. Yeah, it does feel like a sort of war. Um, I mean, I can't say it's a chant because it's instrumental, but it's got that type of um, war percussion type of mm -hmm. feel to it. Syncopated, driving, building, marching sort of sound. And then you've got this great guitar riff that's like droning groove layers. And again, it's almost like Doom, but the percussion is far more busy than it would be for Doom. The actual riffs are like Doom. And then eventually it kicks in faster. And yeah, look, it's it's more of the same. It's the hardcore thrashy crossover thing, but it is really good. And there's well, enough because they've waited a while to go back into that. It's like, oh, okay, that's cool. We're back into that again. But we had a break from it. So yeah. It's fine. the hardcore kind of thing, but with really good musicianship. Yeah. Exactly. Which, you know, I would imagine that a lot of people who listen to hardcore and punk really wouldn't uh, prefer that kind of thing. So being as this is a full album, perhaps they have the longest hate. Well done. Well done. Well, this is the final track and it's uh, there's some slow grooves with a hypnotic bass riff and some clean guitars and a lot of what I think are Spanish Spanish language uh, vocal samples like talking over each other. I don't know what they're saying. Then eventually it kicks in massively with this really amazing drum bit that's like this super fast kind of triplet. Almost black metal riffs on the top. You've got this high-end... But somehow it's alternating between that and grooving thrash. And yeah, to be honest, the ferocity and conviction here, it really is a force of nature. That is what this album has. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe it doesn't always deserve it, but it always has an extraordinary conviction from vocalist to guitarist to drummer. The bass player, I mean, quite frankly, I didn't notice the bass playing at all. It's very much like Slayer it's bass. It's not much. It's very much just sitting in the background. Right. It's very much like Slayer bass where it. I presume it exists, but I can't necessarily hear it. When most of your riffs are on the bottom four strings, the bass player is just chugging along with it. You had mentioned some dirty bass earlier, which kind of when you do dirty bass, it blends it in. But you know what? It in the thing about this record is there is a lot of blandness to it to me. However, hearing you talk about it, hearing us go through this and remembering what I heard, I don't hear that blandness. And it is something that, frankly, I would like to revisit. And if I want yeah. to revisit and if I want to listen again, I'm a spin it. Cool, man. Yeah, I just want to bring up, I know we've not got very long left, but um, towards the end of that last song, they start to bring in samples of things smashing, but in rhythm, like as a, as a program percussion. And it's really cool, innovative, very God flesh. Um, uh, and, and I like that. And, and the track fades down to uh, the guitars and everything fade down. So it's just that smashing things percussion sample. And I'm saying, yes, m give me more, please. Because what, 41 minutes? I, I could have another song. Yeah, it's like 41 minutes. It's, um, a, it's the perfect length, especially for a thrash record. Because, I mean, how many times have you heard a thrash record at 50 minutes and thought, that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. they. This is, and I mean, and I listened to it multiple times. It's heavy. It's thick. It's serious. It's convicted. It's it's yeah. everything you want a thrash record to be. Yeah. You know, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, wow, this is way better than I remember. <laughs> Yeah, look, I really liked this. Um, it's absolutely a 
been it for me. Um, I think, look, part, part of this is probably that I guess I don't always expect to like stuff that's in that style that we talked about that's maybe not my thing. Um, but this is just done so, so well. And there's enough... It's just done with a different angle. They've not got all the solos. The drums are so cool and so varied. There's a lot of dynamics. Those punk vocals with that conviction, um, but they're still kind of metal. So so they're, they're sort of pushing the envelope, bringing in different influences. Um, there's enough light and shade in there, but it's very much got a sound. Um, and it really works for me. And yes, look, I can see some of these riffs are not necessarily the absolute it's not a whole lot of love mark two um you know but overall the feel of this album is brilliant and i think there are some it's just it's just full of great moments the the songs are very good but just the whole thing with the the way it's presented and the energy and the musicianship and the conviction and the dynamics brilliant yeah give me more i want to hear more of their stuff so spin it, it and that's it if I may jump in briefly, you may. The thing about this record is there, there's two kinds of ways to make a record. You can either do a collection of singles or you can do a record. If yeah. I heard one of these songs out of context, it would probably sound like farts. It would be like, no, this is the kind of music you sit down, you drop the needle and you sit there for the next 40 minutes of your life. Drink a beer, have a smoke if you got them, whatever, whatever you do. This is the kind of immersive experience that an album should be. This is why we do this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got nothing else. Anything? Yeah, no, you said it. This is why we do this podcast. Yeah, I'm really glad I discovered it. Spin it and thank you for listening. This, uh, you know, thank you very much for listening. We listened in case you didn't have to. Indeed.